We have just had the most incredible conversation with Nelly Yusupova. She is a tech whiz and she came on the podcast to talk about The Social Dilemma, which is a documentary on Netflix. Please go watch it if you haven't seen it already. We talk all things social media, everything we should be doing, we shouldn't be doing, the state of algorithms, bad habits, FOMO. We just delve, delve deep. And it's a really, really inspirational conversation with lots of hints and tips by Nelly, who is just all around great. So have a listen and let us know what you think. Welcome to Free and Figuring It Out, a weekly podcast hosted by two Brits, Sherelle Griffith and Verity Brown, on a mission to support, empower and reassure fellow independent millennial women that they can be self-sufficient, successful and seen. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Free and Figuring It Out. We are very, very excited to welcome our special guest who is a Chief Technical Officer, a Startup Tech Advisor and the creator of Tech Speak for Entrepreneurs, Nelly Yusupova. Hello, Nelly. Hi, guys. So nice to be here. I'm going to just um, let everyone know a bit more about who you are and what you do. So you've just recently included, been included in Fast Company's League of Extraordinary Women. And you have been at the forefront of women's movement online since 1999. And you're a Wall Street Journal's woman on the IT fast track. You're a speaker and presenter for many organizations and major industry events, including Blog Her and Social Media Jungle. And you've been in featured in and on media such as Inc. Magazine, NBC Today Show and Tech Republic. Yes. <laughs> Your bio was much bigger than that. I had to show it, but yes, you are a woman of many, many talents. So thank you so, so much for joining us today on the podcast. Absolutely. I look forward to our conversation. It should be a fun one. Yeah, no, thank you so yeah. much for joining us. So Verity and I had both watched The Social Dilemma and I'm not a big TV watcher, so it's quite rare for me to actually spend some time watching something. And I said, we need to talk about this on the podcast, but actually we need someone else to come on with us because it's bigger than our knowledge sphere. And so we really were like really excited to have you to come on and just talk about like the world of social space and tech in a broader sense but for those that haven't listened or haven't watched sorry the social dilemma it is a um, documentary drama hybrid on netflix that explores the dangerous human impact of social networking with tech experts sounding the alarm on their own creations and the marketeer side of both me and verity finds it like super interesting because you know that is all uh, it's all exciting and like interesting and wonderful but from a personal perspective you know our everyone listening the majority of them are millennial women and we know it's become something that we're getting sucked into and it's proven this isn't something that we're making up by ourselves like it's been designed to suck us in so yeah it'd be nice just to try and pull it apart a little bit and see if we can hopefully help one another in the end mm-hmm. Definitely. And if you if you're listening right now and you haven't watched The Social Dilemma, obviously still continue listening to this podcast. You'll <laughs> you'll you'll get the gist of what we're talking about. But please, please do go and watch it uh, when you have a moment because uh, it is a very very interesting documentary. Um, so Nelly, let's let's start with the simple kind of you know foundation. What was your initial kind of thoughts after watching The Social Dilemma? Kind of what what was going through your mind with your kind of background, your experience when you when you first watched it? Well, for me, I kind of watched the whole social web come to life. Um, I got, uh, you mentioned that I was a part of Web Girls. Uh, it's a networking organization for professional women in technology. It started in 1995. And it's hard to believe that in 95, nobody knew what the web was or there was no internet. Right. So we were right at that forefront of the Internet and back in Web 1.0 when the Web pages were flat. Right. You went online and you could only read information. You couldn't leave comments or you can't you couldn't leave 
have a conversation with people or watch a video. Everything was flat, pretty much uh, just static web pages in the 90s, like early 90s. I don't know if you guys remember this. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of where the web started. And um, this, the, the social web, the web 2.0 culture, completely transformed that experience. So when, once you go from like uh, just watching the web to participating in the web, I could totally understand why it became so addictive mm-hmm. because self-expression was um, just amplified on so many levels. Uh, and you could put out your message and all of a sudden reach people from across the world and get feedback and get that dopamine hit that everybody's talking about. That's the addictive part of why social media is so great and not so great at the same time. So, you know, seeing that evolution and feeling that need for people to connect to people around the world and express themselves and be heard probably for a lot of people for the first time, you know, it started slow, but you could kind of inevitably see that we would end up in this place. Mm-hmm. Um, and products from like a text, uh, text standpoint, there's a book called Hooked. I don't know if you yeah. uh, have heard about it. <laughs> you know, there is, it, it's a book that talks about the psychology of making addictive products. And so a lot of these product designers, product developers are actually trying to figure out how to make uh, your, any product that they're using, that you're using uh, into a habit that you mm-hmm. can consistently come back and try to figure out how to make you get addicted to the product. Because obviously the more you come back to the app, the better it is for them. So you can use that power for good and evil, <laughs> but we can, we can explore that uh, here. Uh, for me, I'm a very private person, so I'm very conscious of what I put out on the internet. And so when I was watching The Social Dilemma, I was actually, it was kind of validating what I was doing was correct. And I have two mm-hmm. little kids also. Um, I've never put, posted a picture of them anywhere online. And anyone who takes a picture, I make it a point to tell them, like, don't post it. Mm-hmm. for so many different reasons uh, just trying to shelter my kids as, as long as they can <laughs> well yeah i mean i think you've you've made some really good points i mean first of all from what you've said um the internet started as an information platform where it was like you said that flat kind of there was no interaction it was you probably went on and you read things and and that was the extent to where it went and then web 2.0 came in and it made those interactions possible which basically made social media become a thing when that sort of trend came into the zeitgeist I suppose and Mark Zuckerberg decided that it would be a great idea in his dorm room and and you know well we had MySpace before that I mean I don't know I'm sure (laughs) people remember that but that was the original I always remember just quickly everyone was like oh I've got this new Facebook thing and I was like no I'm totally sticking to MySpace it's so much cooler (laughs) and then like you know two months later I'm totally on Facebook but yeah it's it's interesting to know that the technical side of of how that kind of became apparent and then like you said that there's certain parts um the algorithms you know the the people that are interviewed on the social dilemma are all basically talking about how they have created what they call kind of a beast. And they sort of knew what they were doing at the time, but they didn't probably probably realize how big it would get. Uh, and so all these algorithms and things that they were creating, you know, to um, get more likes, get more interaction, get more kind of time on a web page, they've now created and now they've watched it grow and grow and grow into this uncontrollable thing. And they there's a feel there was definitely a feel of kind of guilt and um I suppose a a a bit of regret um from from me watching it and seeing you know how they were speaking about everything what what do you think about that Nelly from from kind of that angle of you know do you think they they knew that it would it would turn to this thing that we wouldn't really be able to turn the tide off or do you think it has gone bigger than anyone could ever imagine? 
it's hard to say. I think, I think they probably knew that if it worked and people uh, generated all of this content, it could get, you could get finally the rich data that everybody was after. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think anybody could have predicted how willing people would be to put all of their information online. Mm-hmm. I don't think that anybody could have predicted that. And I think uh, I was reading in preparation for this of uh, a Harvard study that actually talked about the self-disclosure on social networking sites lights up the exact same brain pathways as it di- as taking addictive substances. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it that way, you know, every time you get a like, every time you get a comment, every time you get self-validation on social media, you are getting more and more physically and emotionally addicted, like as though you were addicted to alcohol and drugs. If you look at it that way, it's a whole different perspective. Um, And so if you're not careful, you can get a mental health issue. I know a friend of mine, who is an, a, the most accomplished woman I know was in her personal life struggling and saw what was going on in reality, <laughs> the, the social media reality, right? Mm-hmm. Where everybody yeah. uh, is putting their best self forward, the, the fun that they had, the perfect relationships that they had, and it's just this picture perfect life that only you portray on social media it completely broke her down. And so in her moment of weakness, she was very depressed and uh, isolated herself and just went through a whole mental health issue. Um, And this is an accomplished woman who never had any kind of issues. You know, so you can start to, to get into lots of societal issues that we need to think about uh, and do something about now before it gets out of hand. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think you mentioned something interesting before in that, you know, the, the structure that we have technological wise can be used for good or for evil. And I think right now, like evil maybe is a strong word, but you know, right now, um, I suppose the business model of, 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 you know, businesses like Facebook is the longer we can keep people on the site, the more money we can make from advertising because, you know, the, the kind of better like selling pitch we have, um, in terms of the fact that we have to just accept that it is what it is that, you know, we, we have as humans now created these habits um, of screen time of social media. How can you see us as individuals kind of evolving um, those habits into something that maybe isn't as harmful as, as what, what we have now, I suppose. Uh, that's an interesting question. I think it started to happening already. If you look at the Silicon Valley elites, uh, they're actually completely trying to have downtime on social media. So they're disconnecting, they're taking time off, they're uh, not checking it as often as they can. They're actually sheltering their kids and not allow them they, them to be on social media. So they're already seeing all of the negative effects that it has and how addicting it can be. And it's like literally taking the time and becoming, like once you're conscious of this problem, you have to decide whether you wanted to do something about it mm-hmm. and take action to taking those steps, whether it's just disconnecting once a, once a week, you know, <laughs> take a sabbatical from it, uh, whether, whatever day you decide to. And it's, it's hard. Like I, I'm so connected to my phone. Um, and it, because we have our phone in a pocket, that's another technological evolution that made this possible mm-hmm. is the phone. Because if we all, didn't have a phone with us constantly and only could use social media on the desktop or our laptops that we couldn't take anywhere with the, everywhere with us, then we wouldn't be, we could only do it in the, at night when we're in physically in our place of work or space where we're typing on, on those devices. But the fact that we have a computer in our pocket all the time, you know, that's what makes it possible to get that instant gratification, to get that, um, validation, external validation, anytime we want it. Yeah. And so 
I think the first thing we need to do is consciously choose to disconnect, set a schedule, whatever is right for you. You can do it once a week. You can do it once a day. You can, what I, you can do what I do is um, I use social media for business very strategically. I schedule it in, into my calendar. And during that time is when I'm going to create content. So I don't actually consume a lot of content. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do it and I create content and that's my extent to social media. I don't actually post anything personal on there um, because I don't think it matters. You know, I view it as an education platform. And so a lot of the people who follow me, they follow me to learn from me. And that's what I share. I don't do it for personal validation. I think it's really interesting what you said about like how the phone has made just made everything go out of control because I can remember having like an old school laptop that had a you could take your sim your sd card out of your camera on a night out and then put it in and because I was like I got Facebook in my first year at uni and I remember like coming home from night out taking it out putting it in uploading the photos and then I'd go to bed like I was that religious about doing it when I got back from a night out but the difference between that and now, like you said, you can just be anywhere, take a photo, upload it. Like, and therefore now we feel as if we have to take photos of every moment and upload them virtually instantly. There isn't even that sort of gap between the two moments. But in terms of like notification um, time limits, which obviously even the phone companies are now making it easier for us to like, you know, on an iPhone, you actually can say, I'm only meant to have this much time on social media. There's one thing that I've always had a, to and thrown around is this whole idea of notifications. So I always used to have them on my phone. And as the documentary talks about, we're just waiting for this ping, ping, ping. That's like giving us that dopamine hit. And then after one Christmas, I decided to try and take X amount of days off. And I turned all the notifications off. And even when I decided, fine, I'm allowed back on. I didn't, but nothing gets pushed through anymore. But there's also, I think then a weird thing where sometimes I'm like, well, then do I just go to the app just in case I've got something's happened and because now the notifications aren't coming through I'm missing out on it that way so I'd like to just talk a little bit about actually like should we have notifications should we not does it actually solve the problem taking it off or are we just so hooked and just wanting this information all the time it doesn't make a difference (laughs) yeah I would totally take uh, turn off notifications that's a lot of the times even when I work on the computer I turn off notifications because it's very distracting and if you're trying to be productive um that completely shifts your mindset to, oh, I got to check. What was that? Somebody sent me an email or, oh, somebody liked my post. You know, so that, that, that constant distraction is never good for you, uh, never good for your brain or being productive. Uh, so taking, turning off notifications, I completely turn off my phone sometimes not to even have it ring because mm-hmm. I use it as a tool to help me. And so it's funny how the more technical you are, the more you, you realize, like I, it's, I try to shelter technology away from me and I've intentionally designed my life to, for, for technology to help me and not like, not it take over my life. Mm -hmm. Um, So it has to be intentionally designed. You have to decide what is right for you personally, and then just take steps to doing that. Um, whether it's turning off notifications, turning off your phone, or not even taking it with you sometimes. Um, I think it's like your, your brain will start to have with, withdrawals. I'm sure you've experienced <laughs> that, as is it, right? With, like physical withdrawals as though you, uh, like you're missing something, you, <laughs> you need to do something about it. Um, but once you get used to that, you'll see how much freedom and liberation you have. Because a lot of it is all psychological. I did an experiment of this actually, where I would completely not post something for months. And I, would, and I was wondering if anybody would notice. And nobody does. That urgency that we have to post all the time, that we have to do it, we have to be there. And like the, the fear of missing out and, and somebody is going to wonder where we are. It doesn't happen because the feed scrolls through whether you're there or not. And if somebody doesn't see it at that moment when you post it, nobody will ever see it. Mm-hmm. And so psychologically, if you get that and um, you'll realize that it's not a big deal. It's, the big deal happens in our brain. We make it a big deal. 
Yeah. And then I think you tap into things like FOMO and, you know, all those sort of millennial generation <laughs> Z um, quirks. I don't know, you know, where, um, and it, it is interesting, like, and I think also you kind of kid yourself until you've really got the habit down as to what matters to you and what doesn't. And I think, you know, I, I always said in the past to Sherelle, oh, I don't really scroll and then I'll catch myself scrolling. I'm thinking, oh no, I said Sherelle, I don't scroll and I actually do. And it wasn't that I was lying to Sherelle. It's just that I'd convinced myself that I didn't scroll. And then I caught myself doing that. And I think lots of us have fallen into those traps of that. And, you know, like as marketers, we know, you know, that the, they don't ever f- end a feed. So there's no end, it's infinite, mm. which is also a scary idea that, it will never you can you will never get to the end of an Instagram feed it will always keep going and um I think something that that we um spoke about we touched upon when when we spoke before Nelly was um the total information awareness program um and I just wondered I, I was really intrigued by it and I'd not I'd not heard of it before I just wondered if you could go into that a little bit give a bit more information about what that is Yeah, so the Total Information Awareness Project was created by the government uh, post 9-11, and they wanted to create, basically start doing what social media did, uh, is tracking uh, where you went, who, where you traveled, who you traveled with, what you bought. um, So basically, so they can put all of that information together and understand behavioral statistics and who the people are and what they're doing and see if they can catch terrorists. That was the whole premise behind it. And uh, people were outraged at that that idea, which is kind of funny, right? They were outraged and the program was shut down. And so many years later, we freely gave all of that information up and are continuing to do that. And now uh, the tech giants, have all of that data that they were afraid or they shut down the government from having. Mm. So it's, it's come full circle and there's so many implications behind that, um, you know, with AI and all of the future technologies that are going to happen. There's, I don't know if you guys know about the startup called Clearview AI. They scrape all of the social media data and make it a part of their database. So they created a product for police to be able to um, take a, find a person based on a picture. So there's no mm-hmm. other identifying information. They scan a picture, so it uses facial recognition technology. Mm-hmm. And then basically, based on all the data that they've scraped, they're gonna be able to track you down like with 99% accuracy. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible. Some, some of the stuff, I mean, in this case, it's only available to the police, mm-hmm. hopefully be, to be used for good. Right. But it can also be used for evil so easily. And we are not even aware of, uh, who else has access to this information because anybody is free to scrape the data, um, crawl and scrape the data that's publicly available on the internet. And also those databases always slightly scare me because even if they're originally intended for good, like we all know everything can be hacked. Everything can be hacked. Right. And it's just going to be a moment, an amount of time before someone does get their hands on it that we don't necessarily want to get their hands on it. So it's definitely like scary when you think about, especially when you start combining. I think that's the, the power of it. I think it's easy for us to probably think about I'm only posting this here and it's only the people that are following me that are seeing it. Whereas actually, as you said, this is all public. And once they start to combine multiple sources together, like people online know more about you than you probably even realize about yourself. Yeah. And it's not even only accessible to big companies anymore because technology has, you know, evolved so much that it's cheap now and anyone can build any of these tools and services, meaning Mm. Any, any, per, any technical person without putting in what would, would have cost millions of dollars of infrastructure costs in before to be able to host this much data and scrape, do all the scraping of the data and, and storing it. Now, 
it's it's not it doesn't cost a lot it uh, everything is in the cloud and you pay only for what you use and you can store terabytes of data for almost nothing and then you can attach ai to do anything you want right and it's like it's scary that it can get into the wrong hands and we won't be able to control it once it's out there it's all public information like there's nothing mm we're willingly, that's the scary part, is that we're willingly putting all that information out there. I think it's really interesting what you said about the Total Information Awareness Project that got shut down because they asked for the information and then a few years later we gave it. What do you think, what what was the process there? Is it the fact that we aren't very good at being told to give over stuff but if we have the choice that we you know are happy to or you know there's, there's something really interesting there isn't there in in terms of yeah that concept so I just wondered your thoughts on that really yeah that's it's a it's a good uh question so like number one thing that I think we need to realize is if the product is free then you are the product and people mm-hmm. love free things, right? Initially, if Facebook charged for membership, for example, even $10 a month, I don't think they would have reached the same adoption initially. Uh, but because it was free, people jumped on it and then they got the dopamine, they got addicted. And so, you know, it became, you you also feel safe. You have that false self, sense of security that uh, only the people following you, I, I think, because people don't understand how all the, like the whole picture of how everything works, you naturally trust it more. Mm-hmm. And by the time all these issues are raised, so much of the information is already given away that it was hard to turn back. Mm-hmm. So um, I think there is a lot of psychological things at play also if you are forcing people just like with a child, right? If you tell them do this, they'll say no. But if you, um, (laughs) it's funny because there's a book that actually teaches you all these tricks on how to talk to your kids so they will listen. And this is exactly what I do with my daughter, right? If I just phrase it slightly differently and make her think like it was her, um, her, her decision to begin with (laughs) she just goes along with it and she does not protest and so it's exactly psychologically it's exactly the same thing um so it's very interesting to me (laughs) and i think one of the things about social media as well is because it's not exactly fomo but i suppose it is because when when so many people use a platform you then think well i'm missing out on certain conversations and Mm -hmm. you're you're that's what I think pulled so many people to start sharing stuff because actually it wasn't you were just thinking I am staying connected with my friends or my family this is a great this was a great opportunity to to try and stay in touch with people and that's how a lot of people originally used it rather than thinking I'm going to be sharing my whole life but then it's just it's slowly like gathered more and more steam and you know they've released more features and there's more things whereas actually if you think about some of the ways we used it in the beginning it just seems unrecognizable to the way we use it now. Well, I think they actually tapped into this psychological need for us to compare ourselves to others. Mm. And, uh, you know, the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses type of thing. Uh, That's that I think I believe that that was a psychological factor that they tapped into from a product perspective. Because if you see someone sharing their beautiful uh, dinner that they're having with their wonderful, amazing boyfriend, right? then you're like, oh, I need to do that. Oh, I'm going out to with my boyfriend. I need to share that too. So we, it kind of feeds it on itself because the more you see other people share their wonderful life, the more you want to show that you have that too. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the danger part of it is um, once the more you see, the more you share. Mm. the more you see someone else doing it and you the more you feel that it's okay for you to do it too Mm. so even if you had an objection to doing something before you it kind of normalizes in your brain after you see it done more and more and more yeah 
and, that, and that's why it became acceptable to take photos of your dinner before you eat dinner <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was never a thing before instagram and then all of a sudden it, everyone took photographs of their meals i'm sure nobody did that before instagram <laughs> Nobody it's even cares. Everybody just ate so that they can do the thing that they wanted to do. The next thing, exactly. right? <laughs> um, I'm sure there's people listening to this thinking, right, okay, so I've done what I've done. And I'm one of these. I've done what I've done on social media. Like, you know, I've posted what I've posted. It's all out there. Where do I go now? Like, if I really want to start taking back that control, if I want to be safe online but I can't go cold turkey, like what is the best kind of path for me to take? And, you know, I don't know if there are um, things that are more dangerous, I suppose, you know, of obviously revealing the location where you are or stuff like that's something I've never done myself. Like, you know, when you check into somewhere like mm. that just petrifies me. Now that, that could be fine. It could be, and I could be posting stuff that actually is quite dangerous. Like, what what would your advice be to anyone who is just thinking right how where do I go now um with the information kind of we've got well sometimes you do things without even realizing you're doing it so for example anytime you post something on social media uh, on Instagram for example it'll automatically put your location in there and so you have to intentionally take it out if you if, unless you if you don't want it there Right. And so if you're posting something for business, then it becomes less, uh, less relevant for this personal safety conversation. But if it's a personal conversation, uh, like even taking a photo and if you don't delete the location meta tags from the photo itself and you post it online, people will know exactly where you were when you took that photo. Um, so there's a lot of hidden information in all of the things that we upload behind the scenes so you know if you don't want the information to be out there or if you don't want anyone to find it you shouldn't put it online that's like <laughs> that's really the best rule of thumb that i can give you because even without realizing it it's there we're just posting it and nobody knows that it's there um so that's number one and definitely never check in into any place because you if you have a stalker or if you have a, even a person who wants to rob your house mm. <laughs> they're like oh she's having dinner at that uh, at that restaurant right now now's a good time to go in and rob the house you know it's, it's just like literally making it so easy for people to know where you are and what you're doing and yeah. i think also consciously understanding what you're posting and why that would you know just question it like what is the reason why i'm posting this mm. it could be as simple as that mm. i think it's really interesting that mindfulness with social media isn't it rather than just being on that kind of train of content post 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 content you know pretty thing put it up hashtag <laughs> like actually sitting there and being like why you know why am I doing this and I think I think that's a really good point because I think sometimes we just don't even think we've bypassed that now like we're so addicted to this dopamine that we don't even stop and think well what is the point of me doing this you know why why am I doing this because I think that then that helps you learn about your own habits and your relationship with social media and may help you then undo some not so good habits that, that you've built up maybe um but yeah no i think i think there's some really good tips there something well, that I, one thing to add to that i i mentioned to you that i use it professionally so social mm -hmm. media could be a really good way for you to show off your skills for mm -hmm. professional and career advancement right so you can choose to use it for that and showcase the work that you do, showcase the, the causes that you care about, um, whatever else that makes you you that will help you professionally mm -hmm. and not post the uh, super personal stuff that, or if you do that, make sure that you have enough settings that only your friends, your close circle of friends has access to that and it's private. Because if it's private information, it can't be scraped. So, um, you know, just intentionally understanding 
why you use social media and if, and it, it, you know, there's so many positive aspects to it. You know, I use it and, you know, I have a great community around me. There's a lot of people learning from me. Um, I feel like I make a difference. There's so many people that I've connected through social media that I would have never otherwise met. Mm -hmm. So if you use it on purpose and you know why you're using it, uh, then it's, it's awesome. You just need to, and this, this is true for any technology. No technology should be using you. You should be using technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really true. And like, I, I definitely, when I think about my use of it, like personally versus professionally, like I have a personal Instagram and literally all my friends will tell you I'm the, the worst Instagrammer in the world. <laughs> Cause I like never ever remember to put anything up ever, but because I use it professionally and that's how I get clients. And I, I have met lots of opportunities through my like professional Instagram. So you are right about it. it's not all doom and gloom. It's just from a personal perspective, you just have to be careful about what you're putting out there. But one of the things for social media and particularly when we watch the social dilemma was this idea about what we're being shown and how, because of everything that like we like and we comment on the, the algorithms building all this information and because they want you to stay there for longer, they then are going to show you more of the same things. And I'm always very conscious about what sort of crazy echo chamber we've ended up being in. So for example, my Facebook, I'm just like, if I just see one more advert for like female entrepreneurs, like that's all I get served all day long. And it's because <laughs> it's clearly because of stuff I've clicked on before, but now it feels like this, and I never click on those adverts anymore, but I can't escape. And so like me and Verity have had conversations before where I was like, I'd love to be on someone else's feed just to see what they see on Facebook, because now it has just become this, like I just get reinforced the same things, even if I don't click on it anymore and it's like do we have any chance to change the algorithm and and can we actually get out of this or if we're in a rut now is that it and we're i'm gonna be 55 and still being served up millennial instagram women on my feed well it's actually very dangerous right uh from a societal perspective having diversity of voices is really important and so when the algorithms control what we see and uh who we hear from, whether it's political or professional, you know, we get one-sided. And I think Mm. it's, I don't want to go conspiratorial. (laughs) Is it designed that way, right? Is it by design? Because Facebook thinks it's doing us a favor, Mm -hmm. showing us the content that we would most likely want to see. But in reality, I I want to be able to see all the different things so that I can make my own decisions about things. Ultimately, I think we'll get to a place where as human beings, we'll choose where we spend our time. Um, I think this year, Facebook lost a lot of users. Just, you know, unless if, if Facebook did have the amazing ad targeting that it does, because the, their psychographic targeting is just out of this world. Yeah. I think that it would have been in deep trouble. Because people are just, you know, as they become more and more aware, you know, with all the scandals, the privacy scandals that happened over the last two years and um, the high profile cases that are showing, I think, waking people up to this idea. I think even in the startup world, you know, it was pretty standard not to do any security until you were more established. Mm. And now over the last two years, I've seen this shift in evolution where you're thinking about security first. Mm-hmm. You're thinking about it as you're building a product. And so, you know, I think we're headed in the right direction. I think as human beings, we need to be more conscious of what we choose to do and what we choose to put our energy and time into. Because ultimately, if people decide that Facebook is the evil you know, we're just picking on Facebook, but there's all these other companies that do the same thing. But if they choose that a specific company is doing things incorrectly, we can be the force that when we come together, choose not to use them. So yeah, yeah. it's all yeah. up to us because the companies yeah, without yeah. us, if we don't give them what they want, they can't be successful. We have the power. We're just giving them our power. <laughs> And it's, it's a weird, interesting, complex concept that, isn't it? Because we know deep down, but it seems such a big thing to overcome. 
Um, and I know that it happened with the advertisers. Was it earlier this year that where they boycotted advertising on Facebook? Some really huge yeah. brands, wasn't it? Yeah. Because of the, you know, and and it's great, but it that seemed to happen, and then it it's gone back to normal, you know. And it's it's kind of like it needs to build and build and build till there's a tipping point where the mass market kind of comes off because the thing is if if your friends aren't on there posting then you won't go on there because there's nothing to compare to there's nothing to be nosy about there's nothing to there's no one there to show off your own stuff so it kind of model completely disintegrates so it's like we need that tipping point don't we of like people coming off it for it then to just totally dissolve sorry I'm, I'm like just imagining defeating Mark Zuckerberg now she's <laughs> on one she's like power to the people I also, no, I also gets, think, yeah yeah I also think we need to be more okay for paying for products you know we all are loving free but like I said free is never free yeah. If because the company has to make some money somehow and if it's free it's it, it has to collect all kinds of data, behavior data to uh, benefit the advertisers. And so if we were more willing as human beings to pay for the services that we use, then the companies could, they don't need to rely on advertising and can, you know, have a better relationship with data because then, because you're paying them directly, you can demand certain things. right now we can't demand anything from Facebook because it's free because they're saying we're providing this to you for free. We need something in exchange. Mm -hmm. If we're paying with our money, then again, the power comes back to us as consumers. We, we choose and we kind of drive that decision of what we want our privacy to be. Yeah. And I think one model that is maybe a bridge to that is the Wikipedia model where it's, no advertising and donations which it's not quite there with the you know like you you do have to pay and stuff but I feel like having listened to some interviews with the founder of Wikipedia and stuff he he seems to be one of the good guys like they kind of said that he doesn't make that much money compared to obviously like the billionaire Silicon Valley kind of big guys but that was intentional because he knew as soon as he started to try and get into those multi-billions he would basically have to sell his soul and sell the ethics of Wikipedia. Um, so, yeah. I, dis- I disagree. I think we should, okay. as a, I, I, I really do think that we need to think less of our society as maybe socialist, right? But, you know, give people, give companies the opportunity to make money. If we all, let's say, decided to pay $5 a month for Facebook, Imagine like Facebook has billions of dollars. They can make mm. up that money mm. very easily just by collecting revenue. And they can get as big as billions of dollars with just collecting membership fees. Mm-hmm. You know, they're providing value. They're solving a specific, you know, connecting the world for us. Uh, there's so many positive aspects, right? Uh, if you use it correctly, you can meet people that you would have never met before. I mean, there's a positive aspect to it. But if we pay, like I said, if we pay them money, we can then tell them what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Yeah. And so I, I command the founder of uh, Wikipedia for the, the work that he did because it's amazing work and the way he the, the model that they made it work with is just incredible I've heard some of his stories also but I don't think that it excludes from real businesses to function like real businesses if we chose that our money was worth I mean, we pay three dollars, three fifty for a cup of coffee every day mm. you know <laughs> why can't we pay for the really for the services that we love the same amount of money every day right yeah, five dollars yeah. a month is not even 350 a day it's it's you know nothing compared to the cup of coffee that we we're willing to pay for yeah, so it's yeah. just changing that relationship with uh free i think uh for our society that will help shift that privacy conversation and and allow businesses to stay in business because it does take money to run a business. You have to pay all the people, you have to have the infrastructure, you have to host all the service servers. You know, Facebook has uh, an entire data set, uh, 
data structures and as like of servers. Um, so it's it's a lot of infrastructure to support, and they need mm. money. Wow, you you've said so many. It like I'm so inspired by this talk. <laughs> like you said so many <laughs> interesting things that I think some of our listeners won't have thought about before. Some will, you know, it's kind of I feel like that extension from the social dilemma, the the documentary, like really kind of then having a conversation about it and and the I suppose real world conversation about how we then manage our own uh, social accounts. And I think you've given some really great tips and and some advice and you've made my brain explode it's like a startup founder trying to like do the opposite of Facebook I'm just like super excited so yeah I think um I think everyone will have really really enjoyed that conversation um before we move on to our guest questions is there anything else you would like to add around this conversation at all I think we've said a lot um (laughs) (laughs) I think I would like to underline the fact that we are in control of our own privacy Mm -hmm. and there's no reason to feel powerless. We just have to understand what we're doing and how we're doing it and mindfully uh, and intentionally decide what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a big takeaway. That's going to ironically become a quote on an Instagram image that we will share with our listeners, <laughs> but intentionally. <laughs> to oh, no, creators, not content consumers. <laughs> and educating people. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, exactly, exactly. So let's move on to our questions that we ask every guest that comes on. So first of all, let's start with what is the definition of free to you? I love this question. Uh, to me, freedom is having the ability what, to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, and on your own terms. Um, it doesn't mean that you don't work hard, uh, but you have the means to choose how you spend your time. Yeah, great. I think me and Shah both agree with that. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> and next, what is your favorite thing to do on your own? that's a funny question because i have two small kids uh there is no time on my own anymore um run into the closet you run into the closet you shut the closet (laughs) no in all in all uh uh honesty i just love uh this period of my life because um i don't miss not having you know that alone time because it's always filled with wonderment um the kids' mindset and how they look at the world and they're always happy and and just like creative. It just is so inspirational for me. So I don't actually miss not having time to myself ever. Um, so <laughs> they're just really fun kids. <laughs> That's a really lovely thing to hear. Yeah. I yeah, when I'm I'm gonna keep that as a memory when I become a mother and I'm stressing out and I'll be like, no, this is a great time. This is a great time. Um, yeah please do share you've given loads of advice already but maybe not related to to what we've been discussing what is your best piece of advice for any kind of millennial women that are listening do something that scares you every day so figure out what one what's going to be with the one thing that's going to take you out of your comfort zone and do that because the more you do that, the more you train yourself to be okay with fear mm-hmm. and to let fear actually fuel you to become more successful and achieve your goals. 100%. Yeah, totally with you there. <laughs> and which resource, it could be like a book, a documentary, a podcast, are you always recommending to other people? So since I'm in the startup space, uh, mm-hmm. the two podcasts that I love and recommend all the time are uh, This Week in Startups uh, by Jason Calacanis. And I love, love the NPR podcast um, called How I Built This. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've listened to it. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. Um, lots to learn. And I love hearing uh, startup stories. So, you know, it's just inspiring and how people learn, how they get from where they were to where they are. And so I just, that's a lot of type of content that I listen to. 
Great. I'll be listening to those too. Thank you very much. <laughs> and um, final question. What are you still trying to figure out? Well, <laughs> with technology changing at the speed of light, it, it feels like everything. <laughs> um, I'm always learning and evolving and um, trying to be mindful of where I spend my energy and time um, because it can be overwhelming, but also powerful if you know how to control it. So, you know, I'm never, um, I think the day that I say I've figured it out is going to be the end because, <laughs> <laughs> because it's, it's, that's, that's just such a misnomer. Like it's not even possible because every single day there's something new, every single day something changes and you as a human being have to evolve in so many directions, both personally and professionally, that um, I think the answer is never. <laughs> yeah, no, well, and I think that ties quite well with your advice, you know, um, question answer as well, you know, about really kind of doing something that makes you uncomfortable every day. It's sort of that keep, it fuels you. It obviously like is a big part of kind of how you live your life, which is great. So, Nelly, thank you so much. Before we let you go back to your adorable children um, that fulfill you endlessly, can you give us a little bit of a, a update on what you're up to at the minute and also where our lovely listeners can find you if they want to uh, reach out or follow you? Sure. Um, so I'm digital woman everywhere. So digitalwoman.com. Um, yeah, it's ironic. I'm digital. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've also recently uh, launched my boot camp, which used to be an in-person boot camp, to make it 100% online. It's called Tech Speak for Entrepreneurs, and it's for any entrepreneur who wants to uh, go into startups if they have an idea for a startup and want to uh, understand how to bring it to life by working um, with developers, by clearly communicating what they want to build and um, minimize mistakes of getting there. Um, check it out. I think it's a lot of fun and um, hopefully it'll change your life. Cool. That's great. Well, I think that you. will change my life. Yeah, that yeah. sounds right up my street. <laughs> sounds perfectly a Verity Street. And also, I think just like thank you so much. It has been such an interesting conversation. And I think I, it's definitely given me some things that I want to check out and I'm a bit worried about. So I'm sure there's other people that definitely have had like light bulb moments throughout that conversation. So, like, thank you so much for your time. We do really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Free and Figuring It Out. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss the next installment. And if you want to be a superstar, please leave us a review. Or you can get in touch with us. Drop us an email at freeandfiguringitout at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time.